And welcome you guys. I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, fun to see people here. It's funny being in the summer and Saturdays, people can't come every week. So when people do come, I'm just like, yes, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Um, well, I'm excited about this. Uh, by the way, I've got a whole lot of slides today. Really, it's just uh, Penny has, uh, has inspired me with her visual learning, uh, talking about uh, how uh, she uses slides. So she's just upgrading the whole place, and I'm just really thankful. So I've got a lot of slides, so I'm going to be like, next slide. Um, do I need a little clicker? Click, click, you know, a little ding, something like that. I need something better than next slide. I just, all right, um, but let's jump in. Today I want to talk about, um, honestly, I'm just going to title this message right now, Committed, say Committed. Say, committed to community. All right. I know. That may scare some of you. Some of you guys might be like, I'm great at this. Um, but let's jump in. Go ahead. We're going to read Acts 2, 42 through 47. I have it on the screen because I'm wonderful. And I'm on the ball. Let's go. You ready? Uh, Acts 2, 42. So they were continually, say continually, continually, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, we're doing communion after church, Ow! and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all believers were together and had all things in common. And they would sell their property and possessions and share with them all to the extent that anyone who had need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's wonderful. I love it. Um, so my goal today is not to convince you to join a presence group. Um, you, you, if, if right now is not your season, it, it, that's okay. I, I mean, I recognize we're in seasons. We have stuff going on. I feel like we, uh, we have, like, during the week, we literally go to soccer practice eight days out of the seven days. Um, we had literally two soccer games at the same time, which maybe it's better than back-to-back because you get them taken care of. But they was amazing. They did great. But I just, we're in a busy season. We got, like, scout, no trail life that started. If you have a young, uh, young man, a young boy, that's your son. We're, we're meeting Tuesdays for trail life. It's just so much going on right now. And so it, seasons become more busy, more freed up. We, our choices help that, by the way. You get to choose what makes you busy. But I just want you to know this is not about getting you to join a presence group. Um, really, my heart, is, my heart is, to, is, is to help us see. Is this coming through okay? Is, is it my S's? Sisters, I don't know how to change that. It's how I talk, so um, don't judge me. No, so my heart is that we would see church in the right in the right light. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I think of church, I think of a meeting. How many of you guys think of a, a church as a meeting? Um, you guys are so spiritual. You guys are amazing. Well, when I, when I think about the church, I think of meeting in a big building on a Sunday morning. That's just how I think. I think about the church. I know we are the church. We're two or more out. I am with, and we're the church. I get that. But this is church. This is the church we're meeting. And so oftentimes we, we don't think the church should be meeting in houses. How do I know that? Well, because your average church has about 7 to 10 percentage of the, of the people meeting in houses. 7 to 10 percent. Ah, it's just interesting if you're right for people that know the church isn't a building. 
But so my heart today is really to help us change our perspective. Why? Because it's in the Bible. Why? Because this is the model given. Am I right? This is the model for the New Testament church. Right here. They devoted themselves to the apostles. It's all right there. And we're going to kind of piece this apart. You guys ready? According to sociologist and world religion scholar Rodney Stark, the growth of the early church is arguably the most remarkable sociological movement in history. Um, wait for my next slide. I've got the next slide thing. I'm really good at it. Just... <laughs> Um, it, it was the most remarkable sociological movement in history. In, in A.D. 40, that's about 40 years after Christ was born, right? A.D. 40, there was a thousand, arguably a thousand Christians. By A.D. 350, 350, there were over 30 million. Uh, that's about 50% of the population converted to the Christian faith in those first 350 years. That's amazing. It went from zero to, to 30 million in that amount of time. Stark says this. You can throw the quote up there now. He says this about that. He says, Jesus was a teacher and miracle worker who spent nearly all of his brief ministry in the tiny and obscure province of Galilee, often preaching to outdoor, outdoor gatherings. A few listeners took up his invitation to follow him, and a dozen or so became his devoted disciples. But when he was executed by the Romans, his followers probably number no more than several hundred. Wow, how, and then he says this question, it's great. How was it possible for this obscure Jewish sect to become the largest religion in the world? How is it possible? Just think about that. How did this happen? And I want to say that it happened, it happened because of what, what Jesus did in Acts 2. What he, what the Holy Spirit came and did all this. So let's, let's talk about that. See, the, what, it's interesting to look at it this way, that the early church leaders did not have what we believe now to be the essential church building needs. They didn't have websites with, with mission statements that with our About Us page. Um, they didn't have, a, they didn't have a social media. There was no missions and visions, mission value statements. There was no celebrity with celebrity pastors with sneakers. Or watches, I believe there are, there are channels on that also. Um, they were deeply actually, in fact, they were actually deeply misunderstood, persecuted, and some gave their lives for their faith, yet they loved, they served, they blessed, and slowly brought the empire, the Roman Empire, to its knees. How did they do this? They did this through love, a kind of love that we are attempting daily to first understand and second to participate in. Isn't that right? As Christians, we're trying to figure out how did Jesus make disciples the way he did? How did he build people? How did he love the way he loved? That's what we're trying to figure out. My wife were on a date on Wednesday. Hallelujah. Date nights are back. We took a, what, a year-long hiatus? Uh, no, <laughs> we took too long. Um, <laughs> but we went on a date, and honestly, we got to love on a few people in stores. And just, just some really hungry, needy, lonely people out there need Jesus. And I tell you, every time I get in those positions, I'm like, Jesus, help me. Help me to love like you love. Help me to see people the way you saw them. That's how Jesus went from 12 people to, to, to what? What did I say? 30 million in, 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 in just that amount of time. So if we look at the beginning of Acts, we see this. We see that, that Jesus, Jesus, I say passed away. Jesus was crucified. And, and he says, I'm leaving with you the Holy Spirit. So you have about 120 of his followers up in the upper room, if you know the story. And what happens? They have a prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit comes on them with mighty, with wind, rushing wind, and tongues of fire, flames over people's head. And, and they all begin speaking in tongues, don't they? 
So there's this fire and glory moment in the room where God came on the scene like they'd never seen him before. And, and, and what happened is they started flooding out in the streets and telling people about their faith. Now, I want to I I ask you, if you were a church leader, take a second now, because I think this is, this is your turn to participate. I want you to imagine yourself in that room, and you just saw the craziest church service you've ever been a part of. God is literally blowing through this room. The windows are closed. They're afraid you're going to get persecuted again. And there's tongues of fire everywhere, right? Like, I mean, people are talking languages. Joan, I didn't know you spoke that language. Amy, oh my goodness. And you're like, this is wild. God, you're real. It's happening. And now I ask you, what are you going to do with the things that just happened? Are you going to do a tent meeting? Are you going to go rent a building and start a church? Are you going to start a social media channel so that people can be influenced by your great influencing leadership? Can I tell you what they did? They took this powerful glory and fire moment and they took it into houses. They took it into houses and they broke bread together and they made it personal. They made it connectable to one another. Yes, they went to the streets and 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. But what did they do after that? They took all those people in houses. They didn't start churches. They didn't build names for themselves. They, they took it into people's houses, into groups, maybe coffee shops. I don't know where else. See, we all want this place of revival. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm the, head of the head of the line there. You told me revival's happening down the street. I'm there. My kids are coming with me. And we're going to have, it's going to be amazing. Like if, if the glory cloud, you know, if a cloud of glory shows up, I don't know, where would it show up? Let's just say a bar downtown because God just, it just decided that he's going to show up in a bar. I would be there. We, we all want the power of God to show up in our streets, all of that place. But what, I, what I'm hoping we grab a hold of is the church is not built on, on these meetings of power and glory. They're actually built on the small groups. They're built on the community part of this. And if you've been part of a community with 50, 100, 200, 300, some of, some of you guys have been in mega churches, it's not, the relationships are not built by the hundreds. They're built by the twos and the fours. And that's one of the reasons why our groups are, are limited to 12 people, most of them. I'm hoping they hit around six to eight. But if half your group doesn't show up and you're left with, you know, those two, and you're like, oh, this is going to get awkward. I think a few more people might make you feel a little better. Um, Sorry, they're not as awkward. It just takes time to get to know those people because you're still thinking about yourself. We're going to talk about today. All right. <laughs> but I promise, what I, what, what I want to say is that if, if uh, when we get revival, when the miracles become easier than you've ever imagined them to be, when everybody you pray for gets healed, it will just make our small groups better. It won't do away with the house groups. It'll just make them better. You'll probably have to open up three or four of them. So we begin to see the necessity. Bill John said this. So I love what he said. He says, he says, revival is not sustained through meetings. It's not sustained through worship nights. It's sustained through family. It just is. I, I think we all know that up here. And, and in our hearts we do. But somehow we, we haven't quite arrived yet to figure out how to do family weekly together where we just we know each other does that make sense how do I know that because I keep hearing from you guys beautiful feedback 
of, I feel lonely. I'm not feeling connected. I'm thinking about leaving. If there was only some way that I could know people and get to know and be vulnerable, that we are helping with that as much as we can. But this is, this is, the, this is the, what church looks like. But we have some, uh, we have some, some challenges, don't we? I want to say this, that culture is one of our biggest challenges. Now I actually don't know where our next slide is. I think we're okay. Is, do we have a next slide for that? Go for it. Ha ha. No, we're not. I, I should have checked my slides. We're not there yet. Um, culture, honestly, culture is one of our biggest problems. It's one of our biggest challenges. The culture, society as a whole, I'm not going to talk too much about that, but I want you to know that culture is one of our biggest problems. But you know what culture is? It's also one of our bigger proponents. Because do you know what people are? They're lonely. They're, they're disillusioned. They're afraid. Rick talked about believing right thoughts. Why is that so important? Because there's so many thoughts you could believe in right now. Some thoughts on loneliness. Here's some stats. Nearly half of Americans report sometimes you're always feeling alone or left out. One in five rarely or never feel that people understand them. One in, uh, one in five report they never have any close people they can talk to about things with. Do you guys have people you can talk to? Less than half of Americans have meaningful in-person social relationships with somebody else. And by the way, Gen Z, which is about 24, 25 and below, is the loneliest generation in history. It's the loneliest generation in history. You know, what's interesting is they're the most connected relationship in history. And yet, what the world has to offer has yet to actually give them a reason to connect. Some effects of loneliness, we know this, that cardiovascular problems are higher, premature death, reduced quality of sleep. Lonely people experience reduction in reasoning, creativity, which leads to less job satisfaction, more likely to face job unemployment, Correlated mental health concerns, anxiety, depression, suicide. Loneliness is associated with poor coping mechanisms. Compulsive technology use, that's not any of us. Smoking, eating disorders, Netflix binging, definitely no one here. And loneliness has the same negative effect as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Look it up. Peer-reviewed articles. Now, you may, not, you may be like, well, that's not me. Praise the Lord. I have Jesus as my best friend. That's not me, and it's nobody I know. But let me, let me tell you, in all honesty, if you can just hold your positivity muscle for a second, it is the reality of the world we live in. And I'd love to say, it's okay, though. It's not us. But who does Jesus call us to? The lost, the lonely. This, I've been, I don't know why, but I've been praying about young suicidal people. There's just, suicides are just, it's insane right now. You don't want to know the stats. And these are the people that we need to love. And I don't know that our big box buildings are killing it right now, if I can be just honest with you. Why is, but why, why is building, so I, this is what I, my mind thinks all this time. Okay, God, I see the standard you've put. I see what truth is. Why is this so elusive? And I'm just always trying to strategize. I pull on Penny, Micah, Jake, whoever I can th- talk about. Why is this so elusive? And, 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 and so specifically, I have a couple of ideas. Next slide. And so consumer culture, I believe, is one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things that we have to fight against. Consumer culture. What is this? Well, it's, our, it's, it's, 
our, our culture favors products that are ready for instant use, quick fixes, instantaneous satisfaction. When we talk about loving our neighbor, our society filters this through the context of this consumer culture. This instant on, money back guarantee, all of that. We simply don't understand the type of love Jesus was teaching his disciples. I was talking about this with Jessica, that literally as we're driving, and I'm driving, and I'm feeling everybody else is like going around me and coming. I'm like, why is everybody in a hurry? And I realized that this idea that it's all about me, it's all, I'm the consumer. Get out of my way. I want to go 80. And so there's this consumer, and I was just talking to her, I was thinking about this. I can't think of one good thing that comes from being in a hurry. As far as like, for like character building, I, I get you get there faster. Like I'm on time, Jesse. That's pretty good. But listen, I can't think of one good thing that actually you gain from being in a hurry. From putting you, and so I, there's just, it's interesting. So our, our culture is so much, so I saw this next slide. I saw this is so interesting. I saw this pop up as I was preaching at Evergreen LA last week on rest. And I just got to share it again. Did you guys know our culture is so much in a hurry to, um, to get to the parts that serve us, and sometimes I am a little guilty of this for bedtime, but did you know that the two most important parts of a child's day is the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes? Is that right? My wife told me that, so it's true. <laughs> she probably got it from a book or something. Anyway, but so listen, what have we done with these two most important times? We've written a book called The One Minute Bedtime Story so that we can hurry up and get through this time that is not about me. All right, next slide. So the next thing we talk about, I want to talk about is that that really is one of these hard things for us is convenience. I looked at the great definition, anything that saves or simplifies work. It saves you work. That's what convenience is. It adds to one's ease or comfort. Things that are convenient are awfully shallow and surface, aren't they? Have you ever heard this saying anything worth doing is worth not doing it right and doing it quickly? No, anything we're doing is doing right. It, ever said that hard things are, like anything that's worth doing is oftentimes hard, right? You ever, you, ever tell, you ever go to the gym and you realize like, you know what? I think I'm going to lift light weights today because I'll get done quicker. It'll save me work. No, you lift heavy weights. Why? Because when we do hard things, we grow from them. And yet, the culture that we live in is how can we save everybody a lot of trouble and get people to do this, right? We, we literally try to figure out where do we put the click button, right, on a website so that they can click it easier, right? We, we make our, we make, uh, I'm a little, uh, we make church as easy as possible, right? Like, well, hey, listen, don't, don't, don't make them look for where to serve. You got to make it all over so they know they can make it easy to serve. And, and if they do serve, don't make them, make them serve every three months so that they don't have to serve too much. This is how I used to think. I'm like, let's make it easy on people. Jesus didn't do that. He actually made it really hard for people. He actually made it really easy for you to leave him. He had a whole bunch of followers. And then he said this really crazy thing. It says, eat my flesh and drink my blood or don't be a part of what I'm doing. And a whole bunch of people were like, dang, that's not convenient. I'm out. Right? But Jesus constantly did that. And so convenience 
is, is so, it's just so hard to get away from. Look at the way we run our careers. We move around from job to job. Most, most of us moving from neighborhoods every couple of years. Our relationships fundamentally become, our relationships fundamentally become Velcro relationships. Because, uh, friendships that are easy to attach to, but also easy to unattach to. Especially this younger generation, I'm, I'm probably really guilty of this sometimes, is when we, when we get to know people, we're careful to really go after deep relationships. Why? Because it makes it hard to pull away if we have to move, if I feel called to Texas. Or if I, if, honestly, or if it gets uncomfortable, I want to be able to, and so honestly, deep relationships is not really something that culture has, has gotten us good at. That makes sense? And so it's just a difficult thing when we're called to build community that's deep and vulnerable and connected. Culture itself is trying to, is trying to keep us from doing that. It used to be that uh, you would call everybody if you, wanted, if you needed something from them. And now what do we do? We text. Have, has somebody over the age of like 50 gotten mad at you for texting them yet? Because it's real. Like, it's, honestly, this younger generation, I get mad at people for text, for calling me. I'm like, don't call me, text me. My time's valuable. And so everything we do is, is centered around this idea of, of don't make my life harder. I'm, I'm working on my world right now. I've got boundaries set in place so that you don't bother me too often. So I get work. It's about convenience. It's about me. I know, this feels kind of heavy and hard. I'm really sorry. It's scientifically proven, though, that we're more aware of things when we actually talk about the things we don't like about it. We're going to get to the good part, I promise. So all of this, all of this makes building community extremely difficult. So if you're looking for grace of why we're not all meeting house to house every week for the past 10 years, listen, I'm going to give you a lot of grace. It's hard. It's hard. What I tell my kids, I think Natalie Britton really pounded this home for me. She kept saying this, is that we do hard things well. We do hard things well. It's interesting, even church culture has made this, this convenience thing a thing. I was sitting in a meeting during pastors probably about a year ago. And they had brought, and it was a Zoom meeting, and they had brought in a consultant to, uh, that, was, that was skilled in online church and they said the new thing that all churches have to adopt is being fidgetal that's a horrible name to call anything at all but fidgetal physical digital and i'm just sitting here in awe they were actually trying to get good at people not coming in and doing church in person and listen i get it like like there's people can't come and they can't you know in in certain stages of maybe i'm sick whatever but listen I, i i the goal is not to make community easier for everybody. The goal is to make it fruitful. The goal is to make it so full of Jesus that, that we are wondering, why were we waiting? Does that make sense? So don't, don't try to make your, your, your home groups, your small groups, uh, you can make them easier to get to. Like, I get it. Like, if, you're, if you can find a home group within five minutes driving, do that. Save time. I'm loved. We don't get any more time in the day. But my point is, like, don't run from something because it's hard. The fruit of doing what God has laid out for us is beautiful. Now, let's talk about the foundations of community. We're going to get to the good part. All right, next slide. Well done. All right, so we're going to we're get to the foundations now. Next slide. So the first one I want to talk about is devotion. Everybody say devotion. Say, I want to be devoted. 
All right, let's look at the scripture for a second. All right, so this next slide is, it says that they devoted themselves. Say they devoted themselves. Devoted themselves. It was about intensity and frequency. This was not a once a week, once a month commitment. This was what changed the church, you guys. This one little little phrase, they devoted themselves, is what they brought. They devoted, they weren't looking for convenience, they were looking to devote themselves. God is calling us to devote ourselves to loving each other. And um, I I, want to tell you that it's not easy. I'm not easy to love sometimes. You better be devoted if you want to learn to love me. No, I'm just... But listen, devoted, we're, we're, we're called to devote. Now listen, often, this, is, this is what we've done. We've taken up, we, we, we live in a preference-based gospel versus a commitment-based gospel. Next slide. There's a pastor named John Tyson. I really like this guy. And uh, you ever heard of the Gnostic Gospels? You heard of the Gospel of Thomas? You can look it up. There are different Gospels that people that they found, and you know, it didn't make the canonized Scripture. But um, John Tyson created his own Gospel called the Americanized Gospel. And in preference-based Acts or preference-based 242, he says this, and it's a little snarky. So if you, you know, prepare yourself. You got, um, get some thick skin on. They studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They went to fellowship when they could fit it in, and they prayed when they needed something, and got coffee together every now and then. They were content without and low expectations for signs and wonders in their midst. They sometimes talked about generosity, but kept all of their possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gatherings. They didn't invite people into their homes and rarely revealed their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to all the people, and occasionally someone was randomly saved. The American Gospel. Let's laugh at that, can we? Can we just go, ha, 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 ha. My, my, my point is that I, I honestly, satire as oftentimes makes it easier for the pill to go down a little bit. And so we can laugh at this, but um, if we're to be honest, there's, there's, there's parts of my own life when convenience has said, I don't really want to invite my neighbor over to my house. What if they don't know when to leave? I don't really want to get in a conversation with that person because I've got three kids. My wife's not home. And if he keeps talking to me, I'm going to have to say something rude to excuse myself because my kids are blowing. You you get what I'm saying? Like, we have any number of reasons why this preference-based gospel seems to come up every now and then. Now, you guys are doing amazing. Honestly, at some level, we are doing an amazing job. But it's, it's, I just felt like a calling us to really what is the standard he calls us to. Next slide. The next thing I see us doing is we're coming from an opinion-based, and God wants to move us into a practice-based. Say practiced. practiced. All right, next slide. the scriptures. They devoted themselves. So we're going to look at what did they practice? What did they do? They didn't just, so they said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They did some things. They sold property possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. See, they didn't sit around talking about what church could be like if we got our act together. They didn't talk about, wouldn't it be great to have more miracles? Wouldn't it be great if we started seeing people out in town and began to minister to them? Wouldn't that be great? Are we doing prophetic words for people? No, yes, we are. All right, well, I'll just let you guys do what you need to do. So apparently the kids are going to come by and give words. I love this. Let's go. Practice-based Christianity. Let's go. We don't just talk about our kids being powerful. Let's do it. 
So the whole point of this is that teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, generosity, worship, praise, a devoted church that builds on the practice of Jesus will build an environment where God brings him. Talking about, and talking about the scriptures without actually like letting it into our hearts and doing what's in the scriptures, it's not going to build what you want it to build. Next slide. The next one to talk about is presence in awe. Say, say awe. awe. Say wonder. wonder. All right, next slide. It says this, and I love this. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the disciples. See, everyone was filled with awe and wonder. This, is, this has got to be part of our community groups. They can't just be, I, I love, I, honestly, our heart for making like hiking groups, all that stuff is really to get you next to people and get you in friendships where I hope when you get to each other, you might say, hey, I saw you limping. What's going on? Can, I, can we pray for that? God wants to heal that right now. So, but the, the prayer, the, desi- the, the goal of, of what he, the model here is not that we just meet in, meet in houses and we hang out and chat, but that we actually see God show up in, in awe and wonder and we see miracles happen. Seth Dahl, uh, uh, um, next slide. So Seth Dahl, you guys know who he is. He teaches family and kingdom, uh, just uh, kingdom kids and all that stuff. He says this. It says, if families do not experience God's presence and awe, I'd say at home, it's not a lifestyle. And the children are at risk of believing Christianity is, an, is event-based. And I would say that we're all at risk of this. When we only talk about his awe and his presence, when we talk about the miracles, and we don't actually practice them, Christianity begins to become something that you talk about. And before long, you're wondering if God's the same today tomorrow and yesterday. And why do we need house groups for this? What about in here? Saturdays, Sunday mornings, there's just not enough room right now in the time that we have here for all of you guys to operate in your gifts. There's just not. I mean, I hope that after this, you're just like, hey, brother, can I give you a prophetic word? Can I, love, can, I, can I sell my house and, get, and get, pay off all your debt? Let's do that. You know, what would be, you, know what would, you know what would change the world? Is if people started, like, if the OC register said, hey, million, multimillionaire sells all of his homes and pays off the debt of everybody. That would change the world. That would change the narrative a bit, wouldn't it? But you see, these homes, God, I honestly believe this, that God designed this, this model of house to house so that your gifts of, of, of compassion, of faith, of, of miracles, of wisdom, that your gifts of healing and prophecy would happen all the time out of you. That, that Sunday mornings or Saturday nights wouldn't be the only time we get pushed into that moment of praying for somebody. Does that make sense? And so this is, this is what these groups are about. They're about having fun, laughter, making pasta together. Mine will be about pasta. I may have mentioned that before. But in that, we're going to eat pasta. I love pasta. I don't get enough of it. I'm starved of pasta. Darn low-carb thing. Um, but listen, listen. But in, in the midst of doing these things of family, normal life together, you're going to be drawn into somebody else's life to pray for them. You just will. And that is the goal of community. Next slide. The next one, I think it's the last one, is, 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 oh, two more, is agape love. Go ahead, next slide, scripture. And so it says they sold property possessions to give to anyone who had need. There was a love demonstrated in the houses that is not able to be done right here. 
It's not able to be done in here, unless we hang out all day, which they used to do. You ever hear people that say, well, we used to be at church all day. We'd come pre-service prayer, then there'd be Bible study, and then there'd be Sunday school, and then there'd be the service, and then there'd be the afterglow, and then we'd go have dinner. We'd come back to church, hear another message, worship for two more hours. That was Sunday. Like, you know, and we walked uphill both ways. No, it's, it's just they did it differently back then. We don't do that now, do we? I don't know if I could handle that. I think I'd probably really love it, but it just, it, I'd have to make some changes with the way we handle our, our weekends. But, but th- that's why we're, this, this can't satisfy the fullness of God's outpouring of revival. It's not meant to. So if your expectation is, I think we should, I, I literally had somebody say, we should do more deliverance on Saturday nights. I'm like, are you serious? Just deliverance for what? The, two, the one or two people in the back and we're just going to watch? Like, no, like, how do we, we're feeding the whole body. If deliverance happens, Lord, let, let's go. But, but these, this time together is about worshiping, looking at him. It's about finding out how can we pull each other in and yes, get delivered on the way out. But, but it's like, these are, not, these are not moments when you want to have demons manifest every week. It would change a lot of stuff. I don't know. Maybe we do need that. I don't know. I, <laughs> Lord, if you want deliverance Saturdays, let's do it. Destiny, you're not the Lord right now, right? Come on. All right, next slide. Salvations. All right, next slide. And it says this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How did this happen? Was it tent meetings? Was it outreaches on Tuesday nights? No, it was through meeting in houses. And in the temple, but it was, maybe it was on the way to the temple. Maybe on their walks to the temple and back to the house. And they said, hey, we're going to break bread and hang out and talk about the goodness of God. You want to come? Maybe that's how people got saved and added to their numbers daily. All right, next slide. I'm almost done. Yeah, in fact, we can have the worship team come on up right now. It's great. We're going to do communion a little bit. I'm trying not to run too long. But these are the type, this is where we're going at presence at, at this church, is, is figuring out how do we get all of us to hang out. I'm, I'm excited for some 16-year-old to say, I'm going to have a, a 16 and under group at my house. Maybe our youth want to start presence groups, you know. I, I, that sounds fire to me. So here's something I thought was really fun. I stole from somebody else, but I'm going to chat, chat about it. This expectations in community. Expectations are powerful, and so I'm going to walk you through this. The first one is when you join into the, say, say you join, uh, who's small? Should I use an example? We'll just use, uh, we'll just use family, that's probably safe. Let's do that. We'll use our, our group. I'll use Anthony, but he's already had two questions, and I want to, I want to honor him. Um, so, <laughs> so say you come to our home group. And you're like, whoa, by the way, this is one that's not happening again, which is why you can't come back to ours, but you need to start your own. No, I'm just, pl- I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. I'm not putting them on the spot. So say you come to our home group and you're like, whoa, the Jesse and Jessica, they're amazing. They're kids. Rah! Everybody else that comes amazing. There's the excitement, the wow, the worship, the people, the stories of God that are being told and you're excited. And then we have disillusionment. And it's filled, we realize really quickly, I thought these were not broken people, but they are. They're just as jacked up as I am. They're just as messed up as I am. They have problems like I have. The kids are out of control. They can't even parent their kids. They're as bad of parents as I am. Like, what the heck? What am I doing here? I thought, and these people can't heal me. They're like me. All right, but then, but then, say, but then. 
But then we have recognition. And this is where we realize that I had false expectations of others. Actually, actually, I, I, I didn't actually realize how much chaos and brokenness I brought to the group, actually. And I'm so thankful they're actually just as, as, uh, as messed up as I am because I can finally let my guard down and I don't have to put on a front anymore. And there's this beautiful place where we all recognize we need Jesus desperately and there's no extra grace required people out there because I might be the chief of those people. And so we all of a sudden realize we go from disillusionment to recognition and we realize now we can actually love people without an agenda. Now I can hang out in this group and feel that I don't have to perform for their friendship. I can actually let my guard down and get myself delivered of all these bad beliefs I have about myself, others, my job, all that stuff. But it doesn't come until later. So here's what happened. Next slide. This is what actually happens in a lot of groups. None of your groups, I know that, but in some groups, this could happen. You start with excitement. You, oh, this is amazing. The people, all that stuff. Wow. The next part, it's delusionment. You're like, oh, wow. That person's kind of annoying. I don't think I'm that annoying. There's no way I'm that annoying. I need to find a different group. And so you go to a different group, because Jake said you can go to different groups, and that's beautiful, right? There's freedom. So you take this delusionment, and you go to the next group with new expectations, and you're like, I'm excited. Wow, Stephen, you're amazing. This is the best group ever. I love your dog, your heart, your power. This is a fiery group. Miracles are happening. And then you realize disillusionment sets in, and you're like, yeah, but God, they're, they're just as, they don't know what they're doing as much as I don't know what I'm doing. I needed some, and so you just go through this cycle, and eventually you leave the church, because there's no groups left for you. You're just too amazing for, to, to, to fit in any of these groups. It's just, it's about you right now. And so you find a different church to go to. No one here, I know. Um, but so, but here's, what, here's what needs to be happening. Next group, next, next slide. What needs to happen is that we get through, we get past this, it's about me, it's about my preferences, it's about things happening quickly, things need to be easy for me. This group is not easy for me, but I do hearts well. Some of these people look a little odd and they're hard to talk to. Maybe they're introverted and I'm not. And so that just scares me. But you know what? Jesus, he sure likes that guy. And I'm going to go find out why. And so we end up hitting this place of recognition where we actually realize and we humble our hearts and we realize maybe I do have time for what God has called us to. Maybe I actually have the need for the life transforming that will only happen when I get in one of these groups. Maybe Deliverance Saturday isn't what I need. Maybe I need to get it delivered from myself. And the only way to do that, imagine that, is by being in a group of people, maybe six to eight, maybe 12, that are not going to put up with your facades and your walls and your unhealthy boundaries anymore. Maybe that's how you get delivered. Maybe that's how your dreams become realities because the person you're going to meet with actually has the answer to your dreams. Yes, that's great. Just go ahead. Next slide. Uh, you guys, why don't you stand with me? You know, but I, I, I told Jess, I'm like, Jess, honey, I feel this might be a kind of a hard message, condemning message. And I, honestly, my heart is, man, we can do this. 
We can do this. How many of you guys think we could do this? How many of you guys are crazy enough to try? You know what the alternative is? Keep doing Sunday mornings or Saturday nights or whatever one day of the week works for us best. And we still don't, and we never actually get to the on the wonder that God has, has stored up for us. I just, honestly, you guys, my heart is just, I'm, I'm a professional cheerleader. I'm an exhorter. I want to just say, come on, you guys, let's go. We don't need to get better at doing church. And I, I think we can get better. Listen, like we're, we're trying to figure out how to do this Saturday thing to, to really just serve you guys so that you can serve God and serve. We just, we're just one big family here. We can get better, but I promise you, if we get better, your world doesn't get better. Your world gets better when you begin to integrate yourself with the way that God called us to do life together. And so, like I said, if this season is not your season to jump into a group every week with possibly taking one week off a month, if this isn't your season, I bless you. There's no condemnation. But I pray that if this is not your season, you'd be thinking to yourself, God, this is a really tight. I just, I see, I feel like it's a big no. But God, can you start to dream with me what next season would look like? What I don't want is you to think he's not talking about me. When I read that scripture, God, it's talking about that part of the church. I want you to recognize he's talking about us. He's talking about you. And you might have a ton of friends, but are you walking with them to the le- to the depth that he has for you? So we're gonna we're gonna worship for a second. I'm gonna pray for us. But th- honestly, I can't do this for you. This doesn't happen on accident. It happens because we're devoted and we're committed. Devoted and committed. And if commitment to a group like this freaks you out, welcome to the human race. And God is enough to get you there. All you have to do is say, God, help me. Help me. You're not alone in being afraid of this. But he is good at this. All right. While they're worshiping, we have communion in the back. Is that the only place we have it? And the sides. You know, I was going to go there. You know I was going to go there. Your communion is located in the back and to the side exits. If there were green lights, they would light the way. How did I do? Good? Um, Let me pray for us. I'm going to pray for the communion too, because I just want you guys to, at your own pace, take communion. They're going to keep playing until we're done. So if you want to hang out and just sit in the worship, you can. Um, When you're done, I encourage you to go ahead out there. Jake will be out there to talk to you, answer more questions. Um, Let me pray for us. Father. We radically, radically love you, God. And we, we more than anything just wanna, we, we just wanna know at the end of our lifetime, you said, you're gonna say, well done. Well done, I am pleased with you. Good and faithful servant, well done. And I, I just know, Lord, that you've called us into this place of community that we're beginning to touch on. We're beginning to touch on it, God. I pray you you would help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. You're so proud of us in so many ways, in the little ways of effort, 
But Lord, I say, God, help me, help us, God. Lay down our preferences, lay down our opinions and begin to just be devoted to one another. Father, I pray for communion today, God. If anybody is sick here, they would come and take communion. And, and, the, and, and the bread of life would heal your mortal body. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead would heal your mortal bodies. And I just pray through communion, we'd have deliverance. When you take communion, I want you to just picture the blood healing your sins, that washing you clean of any addictions. I felt like today God was going to deliver someone from, from eating disorders, anti-bulimia, something like that. If that's you, when you take communion, I want you to say, by faith, God, you have made me clean. And to begin to eat and drink of his body and his blood. And if you want to grab a couple people to do that with you, I encourage that. But I'm going to let us worship for a bit. Amen.